I'm Elizabeth Esty for the Emergency Medical Minute. It's March 30th, a little more than three months since workers at a seafood market in Wuhan, China, started getting sick, a little more than two months since the United States had its first confirmed COVID case, and just 19 days since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. There are 782,000 confirmed cases of COVID across the globe and 37,582 deaths to date. The United States continues to lead in number of cases. Italy has had the most number of total deaths at more than 11,500, with Spain second in the death toll at 7,716. My guess is that tomorrow the U.S. will outpace China in total reported COVID deaths. As of tonight, 3,008 U.S. residents have died of COVID-19. Some nations have seen dramatically lower death tolls. We'll be looking into why this is in future episodes of the Emergency Medical Minute. In Germany, for example, there have been 645 deaths out of the 66,000-some cases. In South Korea, there have been 9,600-some confirmed cases and only 158 deaths. Singapore has 879 cases and three deaths from COVID-19. Washington State, where the first case in the U.S. was reported on January 21st, has seen a total total of 4,900-some confirmed cases and 205 deaths. If New York State were a country, it would rank sixth globally in confirmed COVID cases. Right now, it accounts for almost half of the total deaths in the United States. There are 66,600-some confirmed cases in New York State, and 1,218 people have died in New York of COVID-19. The list of hard-hit United States is getting longer and includes New Jersey, California, Michigan, Illinois, and Louisiana. Here in Colorado, where we tested not quite 0.27% of our citizens, we have had 51 deaths and roughly 2,500 confirmed COVID cases. Most of our numbers come from the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine Coronavirus Resource Center. If you just Google Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Dashboard, highly recommend checking out their website. In the past two weeks, warnings, questions, and misinformation concerning COVID-19 and NSAID use have been spreading, no pun intended, virally. The pace of this evolving pandemic and the equally quick pace of the news and social media news cycle have meant that information and misinformation travel equally fast. Today, we bring to you the story of how a letter in The Lancet led to a world of confusion. On March 11th, researchers from Switzerland and Greece published a letter in The Lancet raising the question of the role of some of the medications commonly used to treat hypertension, heart failure, and diabetes have in worsening COVID-19. A little lost in the shuffle is that what The Lancet calls a correspondence is not a study, it's an opinion. The prestige and glow attached to anything published in The Lancet are such that it didn't matter. A week later, when things had spiraled into a cytokine storm of misinformation, exaggeration, and falsehood, the authors timidly reminded readers that their thoughts were meant to guide future research, not change patients' medication regimens. At that point, it was a little late. The evening of March 29th, as we at EMM continue to research this odd story, when you search for this Lancet correspondence, a message pops up that, quote, an error has occurred. The page or action you requested has resulted in an error, end quote. Hindsight is 2020, but surely someone should have realized that when you say in a world-famous respected medical journal 
We hypothesize that diabetes and hypertension treatment with ACE2 stimulating drugs increases the risk of developing severe and fatal COVID-19. You are going to attract a lot of attention. ACE inhibitors, after all, are the third most prescribed medication in the United States, and we consume billions of tablets of ibuprofen every year. ACE inhibitors are meds like lisinopril, captopril, enalapril, anything really that ends with pril. The brand name should be familiar, Vasitec, Zestral, Lotensin. They're used to treat high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, and to prevent kidney failure caused by hypertension and diabetes. ACE inhibitors and related medications called angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, when they do inhibit their targets, they may also cause an increase in the expression of a protein called ACE2. There is good evidence that SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, does get into cells by latching onto these ACE2 proteins on the surfaces of human cells in the respiratory and GI tracts and in renal tissue. The Lancet authors looked at three papers out of China, surveying a total of about 1,300 critically ill COVID patients. They noted that, depending on the study, roughly 30% of these sickest of COVID patients had hypertension, coronary artery disease, or other cerebrovascular diseases, and between 12 to 22% had diabetes. They then made a huge leap and speculated that people with hypertension, coronary disease, and diabetes may be doing worse with their COVID because they take ACE inhibitors. But the data from the three studies they cite does not indicate how many of these sickest Chinese COVID patients were actually taking ACE inhibitors before they got sick. The authors acknowledge this sort of when they write, The most frequent comorbidities reported in these three studies of patients with COVID are often treated with ACE inhibitors. Are often treated? We don't know if they were treated, though, in this case. Amazingly, the Chinese research that prompted this Lancet letter didn't even establish a correlation, let alone causation, between ACE inhibitor use and having a bad case of COVID. It's really a fascinating story, basically a global game of telephone, where a shaky hypothesis from Switzerland based on almost no evidence out of China gets retold by some NZ-wary French authorities who then get the World Health Organization to step into a misquote trap which is then amplified and distorted by social media. To get back to the story, we have no idea if the sick Chinese COVID patients were actually taking ACE inhibitors. It is very true that in the United States, patients with hypertension and diabetes are often prescribed ACE inhibitors. But is this true in China? There are, in fact, a lot of people in China with hypertension and diabetes, but it's not at all clear that they are prescribed ACE inhibitors and ARBs at the same rates U.S. patients are. One in four Chinese citizens is estimated to have high blood pressure, but fewer than half are even aware they have it, and only 40% of those who are aware take medication. Of those half of half, 47% take calcium channel blockers, not ACE inhibitors. Rates of diabetes are skyrocketing in China, probably with the adoption of Western lifestyles. It's estimated that by 2025, perhaps one in eight Chinese citizens will have diabetes. We're estimating right now that probably 9 to 10% of the Chinese population does. It should be noted that systems of primary care in China are somewhat different from in the United States, and it's likely that many of those diabetics are not receiving the kind of care they would in the U.S., and that rates of ACE inhibitor use to prevent renal complications are probably fairly low. We found an old study suggesting that differences in the ACE gene in Chinese populations compared to Caucasian patient populations result in Chinese patients being more likely to have a common side effect of ACE inhibitors, which is a chronic cough. This may be part of an explanation of why ACE inhibitor use is lower in China.
For whatever reasons, it seems that ACE inhibitors are not used as much in China as they are in the U.S., meaning that the leap the Lancet correspondents take from hypertension and diabetes to ACE inhibitor use is really suspect. Maybe their now inaccessible Lancet letter will be replaced by a fuller explanation of the author's thinking, but right now this all strikes me as pretty sloppy. To add to the sense of slop, two of the papers the Lancet letter writers cited didn't adequately support their claim. Their reference number 11 is just a restatement of their own hypothesis, and their reference 33 is a rodent study supporting the idea that ACE2 is upregulated in rodents receiving ACE inhibitors. There's another thing here I'd like to note. If a quarter of Chinese people have hypertension, it's completely unsurprising that 20 to 30 percent of sick Chinese COVID patients do. If roughly 10% of Chinese people have diabetes, it's really not surprising that 12 to 22% of sick COVID patients do. These represent just close to the rates of these diseases in the general population. I should note that rates of diabetes, coronary artery disease, and hypertension in very sick COVID patients appear to be significantly higher in Western countries than in these three Chinese studies. I noted before that ACE inhibitors do seem to cause an increase in ACE2 expression in some tissues. And remember, ACE2 is the virus that causes COVID gloms onto. Animal models certainly support this, but there are also several animal studies and some meta-analyses in humans that suggest that ACE inhibitors may actually provide benefit to patients with viral and community-acquired pneumonia. That is, being on these drugs may be protective for some patients. The biology of these drug receptor interactions is incredibly complicated. On March 23rd, nephrologists out of Italy in Bergamo, one of the hardest hit areas, published a detailed review of the current knowledge of SARS-CoV-2 and ACE2 receptors that really highlights how very complex the relationships between ACE inhibitors, ACE2, and COVID-19 are. I'm tempted to read the paragraph detailing the many steps required for SARS-CoV-2 to enter a cell to show you how simplistic the Lancet hypothesis is, but I'm afraid you'd stop listening. There's just no evidence right now that taking an ACE inhibitor or an NSAID increases anyone's risk of infection or worsens their illness. The Bergamo nephrologists note, in fact, that elderly, sick COVID patients actually express less ACE2 receptors. We just don't know. There are just no data available specifically for COVID-19 infected patients. In fact, exercise increases ACE2 expression too, but we're certainly not advising patients to stop exercising. We know for sure that ACE inhibitors save and improve lives. A study in JAMA a year and a half ago found that patients who discontinued these drugs had a 39% mortality at two years. One expert said simply, do not change medication based on no evidence. Sorry, I meant to say earlier, and you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with NSAIDs? NSAIDs being medications like ibuprofen, naproxen, uh, under the brand name of naproxen, Motrin, Advil. We're talking about them because they may also increase the expression of ACE2. So, the speculative letter in Lancet on March 11th leads the French Ministry of Health and Social Affairs to write on March 14th, Quote, serious adverse effects related to the use of NSAIDs have been reported in patients with COVID. Treatment of a poorly tolerated fever or pain in the context of COVID-19 or any other respiratory virosis is based on paracetamol, what they call Tylenol. NSAIDs should be banned. Now, it's very possible that my Google Translate of this announcement that 
banned isn't quite the right translation. Nevertheless, their wording is strongly suggesting that people not take NSAIDs. The same day, the French health minister amplifies this message over the Twitter phone, tweeting, taking anti-inflammatory drugs could be a factor in worsening the infection. If you have a fever, take paracetamol paracetamol being what they call acetaminophen or Tylenol. For reasons I haven't really been able to figure out, the French have a particularly wary view of NSAIDs. April last year, they issued a press release claiming that there is, quote, a risk of serious infectious complications with NSAID use. France then placed tight restrictions on the sale of NSAIDs, much tighter than those seen in other countries. Products including Tylenol and ibuprofen aren't available over the counter there. Patients need to consult with a pharmacist before purchasing them. Things got really weird when a reporter asked the World Health Organization spokesman about these French warnings. The spokesman, who may have been caught a little off guard, told the media that they were looking into this to give further guidance. And he added, quote, In the meantime, we recommend using rather paracetamol and do not use ibuprofen as a self-medication. He added, that's important. In the hours and days that followed, headlines around the globe say, World Health Organization says don't use NSAIDs if you have COVID. The next day, March 18th, the World Health Organization backtracked on their spokesman's statement, coming out with a tweet saying, based on currently available information, the WHO does not recommend against the use of ibuprofen. They go on to say they are not aware of reports of any negative effects of ibuprofen beyond the usual known side effects. The EMA, which is Europe's version of the FDA, echoes that sentiment on the 18th, saying that there is currently no scientific evidence establishing a link between ibuprofen and worse COVID. The FDA does the same thing the next day on March 19th, announcing essentially the same thing. Both agencies remind their audiences that NSAIDs do contain warnings that anti-inflammatory effects can hide the symptoms of a worsening infection. This isn't news to anyone, though. The Lancet authors issue an announcement that their letter did not, quote, constitute a recommendation to use certain drugs or not. Patients should always follow the instructions given by their physicians. This is way too late, though. In the days to come, completely false reports, usually variations on something like, four young people take NSAIDs and die of COVID, spread like wildfire on social media. A completely false WhatsApp message said, There are four young people in an ICU in Cork who have no underlying illness. All were taking anti-inflammatories, and there are concerns that this has caused a more severe illness. Enough of these were floating around that the Infectious Disease Society of Ireland had to officially debunk them. It was in the days around this time that I started getting lots of text messages from friends and neighbors warning me or asking me about the dangers of NSAIDs and COVID. There are obvious harms caused by the dissemination of false information and by speculation by researchers. First of all, no one needs to be more scared by COVID. There are plenty of people taking NSAIDs and ACE inhibitors and steroids who may have their levels of anxiety ramped up needlessly. People who are taking ACE inhibitors should not be frightened into discontinuing them. Second, taking too much Tylenol is dangerous or deadly. One unintended consequence of exclusive reliance on Tylenol for pain and fever control may be that more patients suffer liver failure trying to manage their COVID aches and sweats. Acetaminophen poisoning is the leading cause of acute liver failure, and it sends 78,000 people a year to the emergency department and results in 33,000 hospitalizations every year. More than 1,000 people 
people die of liver failure due to Tylenol poisoning. Tylenol has a much narrower therapeutic window than other over-the-counter pain relievers. According to NPR reporting based on FDA recommendations, taking even 5 grams a day of Tylenol can hurt your liver. That's just two tablets of extra-strength Tylenol more than the recommended dose. In contrast, to cause acute ibuprofen toxicity, you have to take 20 times too much. And to cause acute aspirin toxicity, you need to overdo it by six to eight times. Pushing people to rely on Tylenol exclusively thus has the potential to cause a great deal of harm. The hopes surrounding drugs like hydroxychloroquine and the fears around anti-inflammatories seem to me sides of the same coin. The long list of unknowns is part of what makes COVID so anxiety-producing. Unfortunately, it takes time for science to do what it does best, which is to pose and answer questions. Establishing correlation is not easy. It requires good study design and often large numbers of patients. Establishing causation can be even more difficult. The complexity of the human immune system is astounding, and there are countless factors involved in how we fight or fail to fight off viral infection. Is it possible that anti-inflammatories or ACE inhibitors change how human bodies respond to SARS-CoV-2 infection? Sure, but it's not even clear if those changes are harmful or beneficial, or if the impact is clinically significant. The risks to kidney and cardiac and GI health are real with NSAIDs, and the hepatic risks with Tylenol are no joke, but they're also nothing we didn't already know. The Emergency Medical Minute is not in the business of giving out medical advice, but it's just common sense to keep track of over-the-counter medications you take so that you don't exceed safe doses. It's also wise to not take medications you don't need and to consult your physician if you're in doubt. It's also common sense to treat information about COVID that comes via social media with healthy skepticism. But if there's a moral to this story, it's probably that we need also to treat material that is not based on peer-reviewed, well-designed studies with a similar skepticism, even when that material is published in fancy journals. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Nate Novotny for his diligent, inspired research.